Given that we're living in quite turbulent uh, geopolitical times, it makes sense for Australia to diversify and also to disperse where the students go when they arrive in Australia. Hello and welcome to KPMG's Talking Tertiary podcast, where we reimagine tertiary education for a changing world. I'm Stephen Parker, KPMG's education sector leader in Australia. In this episode, I talked with Dr Stephanie Fay, the Chief Executive Officer of Austrade, the Australian Trade and Investment Commission. Austrade is the Australian government agency responsible for promoting trade, investment and international education and tourism policy programs and research. We spoke about a range of issues to do with international education, the outlook, the issues and the challenges. Stephanie Fay had a distinguished career in universities. She and I were colleagues at Monash University. Well, I should make clear that doesn't make her distinguished. She was distinguished anyway. Uh, she then headed education at Ernst & Young before moving to Austrade in 2017. Here's the interview. Stephanie, welcome to Talking Tertiary. Thank you very much, Stephen. Let me start with an obvious question about the outlook for international student recruitment onshore in Australia. It's obviously an important issue. International education is the country's third largest export earner of overseas currency, we hear. In some parts of Australia, such as Victoria, it's the largest earner. And there's many jobs generated by it. So how are you reading the tea leaves about prospects for the future? As you say, international education is a very important export sector for Australia. Uh, it generates currently about $35 billion, uh, and it also employs about 240,000 really? people. Uh, and one in 50 people in Australia is actually an international student. Really? So it's a very significant sector. Uh, so... We in government and within the university sector, vet sector, schools, watch uh, the opportunities in international education quite closely. Uh, we look at past performance. So if we look at last year's performance, uh, we grew by 17.3%. So there have, there have been a number of question marks and anxieties around international mm -hmm. students. But the numbers are still growing and in double digits. And that's presumably part of global growth. So whatever Australia's share might be, it could rise or fall. As a global phenomenon of uh, people crossing borders to study, that, that is still growing? Is that the case? It is. It's growing very rapidly. Uh, we're expecting uh, that there will be at least 280 million people who will be wanting degrees. Uh, so what we're looking at now is what is the capacity for yeah. Australia to absorb more international students? Yep. And if we're reaching capacity, which I'm not quite sure that we are, because mm -hmm. this is something we can talk about later, uh, what are the other opportunities for Australian educational institutions? And as we know, there are opportunities to offer courses offshore mm -hmm. and online. So when we think about the delivery platforms, they're quite varied. Okay. So I wouldn't 
suggest to anyone that we're going to uh, reduce the number of international students that we have some contact with from Australia. So let's dig a bit deeper into some of those issues. Taking students on shore to begin with, people coming here deliberately um, to study. Um, and I think you were making a dispersal point a moment ago about capacity and where. But before I get to that, um, there's, there's talk of over-reliance on a small number of countries. And I mean, I know that we draw students from possibly up to 150 countries, but actually it's a small number that provide most. So if something went wrong with one relationship or one market, what kind of difficulty would that put us into? Mm. You're right. I think we do have a reliance uh, on a few markets. And in Austrade, we talk about the four C's of diversity. Mm -hmm. And then we talk about the 70% club. Right. So the four C's are the diversity which which is required in the countries from which Mm -hmm. students come, uh, the cities to which they go, uh, and the courses which they do, and also the channels through which they come. So we need to diversify all of those. And if I can give you some examples, so in terms of countries, and this is where the 70% club comes in, uh, 70.9% of our international higher education enrolments actually come from five countries. So from China, India, Nepal, Vietnam and Malaysia. And then in terms of the cities, they go, 78% go to just three cities, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And in terms of courses, almost 70% are concentrated in three courses, management and commerce, IT, engineering and when we think about the channels through which they come to Australia, 74% actually come through agents. Goodness. So you're seeking to diversify across each of the four Cs, partly to reduce risk, but also just to add to the acceptability and interest of, of it all. Is that, is That's that... exactly right. Okay. Uh, we do have to manage risk. Okay. Uh, any business uh, would know that a reliance on just a couple of markets or a couple of products uh, doesn't give you sustainability. Yeah. Uh, and given that we're living in quite turbulent uh, geopolitical mm-hmm. times, sure. it makes sense for Australia to diversify and also to disperse where the students go when they arrive in Australia. So before we go to offshore and online, which you'd also mention, can I just ask about the acceptability of an industry on this kind of scale, from time to time, it's in the media. It could be English language standards, it could be academic standards, it could be pressure on infrastructure. And I don't know how much of this is hyped by media and how much of it is widely felt in the community. But there may be some kind of sense that that there's a lot of people coming here and we're not absorbing or greeting them uh, appropriately. What's your your view on all of that? Mm. I think there is a lot of uh, discussion about it in the community. Uh, I've heard many parents say, well, it's uh, when I look at the courses and the students who are at university, 
there doesn't seem to be as much diversity as what we'd hoped. Uh, but I think sometimes parents also mistake uh, the lack of diversity of the uh, origin of students yeah. in universities because they're confusing uh, international students yeah. with domestic students. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because if we look at, particularly in higher ed, uh, there are a, a large number of students from Chinese origin, but many of them were actually born in Australia. Yeah. So they're second and third generation, yeah. and they may be Chinese from Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. They've come from all over the region and have been in Australia for many, many years uh, because we know that 40% of the Australian population was born overseas and another 20% had one of their parents born overseas. So that's 60% of the Australian population uh, has either been born overseas or one of their parents have been born overseas. That's an extraordinary number. Mm. So if our educational institutions are representative of the whole of the Australian population, then you would expect diversity within those institutions. Terrific. Thank you. That, that was really interesting. So let's, let's go offshore and either in person or online. And I remember Peter Varghese wrote um, a strategy review f about India for the Australian government and thought there were great prospects, particularly in vocational education, offshore and online in India. Um, talk to me about what Austrade's thinking is in terms of uh, students not coming onshore. Mm. So we, in Australia at the moment, we have just short of 700,000 international students, uh, but we also have, in terms of higher ed, another 120,000 students uh, who are doing Australian courses but offshore. But if we look at the VET sector, uh, we did have a significant number of students doing VET offshore, but it's declined. Uh, and it's actually in about eight years, it's declined by more than a third. Uh, so then the question is, why has that happened? Uh, and the consensus is that it's not because students are doing less vocational training. It's actually that they're doing their voc vocational training at uh, institutions or with companies that don't necessarily have Australian accreditation, although they're Australian companies. So it might be just-in-time learning. Uh, it might be executive training. It's, it might be more packaged up uh, or what we call unbundled education. Mm -hmm. So I think the VET sector uh, is becoming much more flexible in terms of the way in which they're delivering their training. Mm -hmm. So it appears that the numbers are decreasing what about price? I mean, I hear in certain countries our vocational education is, is not competitive price-wise. Yeah. So vocational education uh, can command a reasonable price if you have standards for the profession or the trade in that country. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're uh, an electrician and you need a qualification to become an electrician, then it's worth investing in that training. But if you're 
an electrician in a country where you don't have to be registered or you don't have to have a qualification, then the price sensitivity uh, becomes more acute. So people can't get return on their investment uh, through their earnings. So I think that's where quite a lot of the price sensitivity comes from VET. Okay. So online... And by that, I'm meaning text, I'm meaning audio, I'm meaning mixed reality, all of the new technologies that are becoming available for for learning. I mean, in principle, this could be huge because it's so scalable um, and one can reach much larger populations than delivering in person. But I think I'm right that in some countries in the past, there's been resistance to online education coming out of a, a, a different country, parental, cultural, maybe even employers not recognising degrees taken in a certain way. What do you think the prospects are for digitally delivered mm. education? I think those of us from the higher education sector have been waiting for the digital revolution for many, many years. Uh, when the MOOCs or the massive mm-hmm. open online courses were first launched from the US, we thought that it was going to take over uh, training and higher ed, but it didn't uh, come to be. Uh, but we can see that there are more and more students who are taking their courses online. And even in Australia, it's growing by about 6%. And the reason, I think, is because the quality of the technology, the quality of the courses, and also the brand mm-hmm. of the universities who are offering these online courses is also uh, becoming more robust. So uh, when Harvard starts offering online courses or Stanford or these names that we all aspire to, Mm -hmm. uh, when they're offering online courses, then it's a different proposition. Uh, So I think that there is opportunity for students to study online and particularly for second degrees uh, if they're working and they are limited by uh, the time that they can spend on a campus, then online course could be uh, an option. But when I reflect on online courses, uh, one of the benefits I can see, and this is particularly for master's programs and even an MBA, if you're doing an online MBA and you're working together with Uh, fellow students in Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore, Shanghai, various cities from around the region and you're working together with them across a medium that is the same medium that you would use if you were working at KPMG, for example, Uh, because KPMG, you've got regional teams working on projects Uh, people from different backgrounds and you need to be able to communicate uh, via a video conference or via uh, a teleconference and you need to get the work done. There's no uh, excuses for, oh, well, we haven't met in person, therefore we can't work together and it has Mm. to be face-to-face. The real world is not like Mm. that. And for global firms, Mm -hmm. we need to be able to work across uh, cultural divides and geographic divides. So online courses, especially at that master's level, I think actually emulates the real world where a campus experience doesn't emulate the real world that these students are graduating into. So 
Thank you, Stephanie. That was fascinating. Can I round this discussion off just by asking about your outlook? Are you optimistic for Australia's future in international education wherever it takes place? I th- I'm optimistic, uh, but I think we need to be very sensitive to headwinds. Uh, we know in our past and not so recent past, if there's a change in visa setting mm-hmm. or if there's uh, problems around safety yep. or if there are geopolitical tensions, it can impact uh, our international education sector. So we need to be very cognizant of those factors as well as the social licence in Australia to support international education. And you did ask me before about what the benefits are for Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bringing revenue to Australia is a clear benefit, but international education is far more than that. Uh, and we go to Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, and the cultural life that is brought to those cities, especially the inner city, is exciting, Uh, the food is diverse, you can buy food at any time of the day, entertainment, music, fashion. These international students bring vibrancy to the city uh, that wouldn't be there unless unless they were there. Hear, hear. Thank you very much, Stephanie, for coming in and talking tertiary with me. My pleasure. That was my conversation with Dr Stephanie Fay from Austrade. We talked about international education generally, the trends that we can see globally, students coming to Australia, but also the opportunities that are, that are opening up for Australia in delivering education offshore, in person, or through new digital technologies. And we had a fascinating conversation about the opportunities, but also the risks and some of the challenges that we all must face if we are to develop Australia as a globally integrated and aware society. You can listen to other episodes in this season on our website, kpmg.com slash au slash Talking Tertiary, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next time on Talking Tertiary.